Welcome to all of you. It's lovely to see if you're new here at HTC. Particular welcome uh, to you. My name's Jago. I'm the vicar here. And uh, we are in the second of um, a three-week series uh, on the all-important I. And uh, if you missed uh, last week, do um, maybe have a listen to it online. Uh, but it, I guess it's sort of a slightly more sort of thematic um, sermon series that we're looking at than perhaps we normally do. Normally, we take a book of the Bible and work through it a passage at a time. And this three-week series is a, a little bit sort of on a particular theme. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll go from there. But do keep your Bible open on uh, John 13. Lord God, may um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts this evening be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, um, just to sort of fill you in a little bit, if you perhaps if you weren't here last week or uh, maybe you were and you've forgotten, um, uh, let me say, first of all, I spoke uh, last week about the mess the mess that is everywhere. You know, mess in life, the mess in our culture, uh, the mess in this church, the mess in ourselves. Uh, that so much of that mess is because of our radical individualism. Focusing on me, myself, as the all-important I. I'm the center of the universe. And then I spoke uh, about William Wilberforce as the model to get us out of the mess. And this is Wilberforce, the politician who campaigned for the abolition of the slave trade 200 odd years ago and who worshiped in this very church 200 odd years ago. And he is a model for us of such integrity. So the all important I shouldn't be ourselves, all about me, but rather the all important I is I for integrity. But then also what I did last week, uh, you'll, you'll remember that I spent a lot of the sermon actually saying, if I just left it there, if I just sort of said to everyone, well, Wilberforce is a great model, uh, a person of integrity, let's go and do likewise, let's be like Wilberforce, then it'd be a disaster. Because all that would be happening is I would be weighing a heavy weight on us, and we would just sink down with the pressure of trying to be like Wilberforce, because it would be such a challenge. Uh, you know, I'd find it impossible. And, and actually, Wilberforce himself would be the first to say, now, the first thing each one of us needs to do is to set our hearts and our minds, he talks about our affections, set our affections on Jesus. Jesus Christ, Jesus is the all-important one. And it is as you and I, as we set our affections on Jesus, on things above, having a big vision of who Jesus is in all his awesome majesty, is as we, as we set our eyes on him, the all-important one, then we will be increasingly enabled by him to more and more be people of integrity. And really today, what I want us to do is to, if you like, push a little bit further into that idea. I've, over, particularly over the last couple of months, been thought quite a lot uh, about how Wilberforce is a great model of integrated discipleship. So he's a great model of how we as disciples grow as followers of Jesus. I've thought a lot about how he's a great model of integrated mission. You know, uh, how do we reach out into the world as followers of Jesus? How do we reach out in, with evangelism, personal evangelism, telling about people about Jesus, but also in terms of social action, showing the love of Jesus practically? And Wilberforce is an amazing model of doing that in an integrated fashion, you know, personal evangelism and social action, most notably, obviously, in uh, uh, combating slavery. Uh, he's, a, he's a great model, too, of someone with an integrated vision. You know, so often, what do we do? We just focus on the here and now. But as you look at Wilberforce, Wilberforce is a man who, who, who'd focus on the eternal future as well as the here and now. 
And he lived now in the present in light of that eternal future. So he's a great model to us of integrated discipleship, integrated mission, integrated vision. But what I want us to focus on this evening is how we can be people of personal integrity. How we can have an integrated life. A life where there is a good integration between how we are in public, where other people see us, and how we are in private. Between what we profess with our lips and actually what we practice in terms of our actions, how we actually live our life, how we can be integrated in that way. Now, if you remember the diagram up there that I showed last week, the idea is that all too often what happens is we lack personal integrity. There is a difference, there's a gap between the two. All of us, to some degree or other, we are hypocrites. You know, before the um, devastation of the Ukraine war, think of all the hoo-ha over Boris and his 10 Downing Street lockdown parties, you know, saying one thing and possibly doing another. One article in a newspaper was headlined, Cake and Prosecco aren't the Prime Minister's real problem, personal integrity is. In our Bible reading that Kenny read for us, we're reminded of Judas. Judas, perhaps the ultimate hypocrite. Now, hopefully we're not to sort of the extreme that Judas was, but for all of us, let's be honest, every single one of us, we have a problem with personal integrity. There's a gap. There's a discrepancy between the public and the private. Uh, let me try and sort of illustrate that with, um, with reference to perhaps the biggest business success story of the last two years, which obviously, in addition to producers of face masks and anti-back gel, was Zoom. Uh, you know, Wired magazine declared Zoom took over the world, and it pretty much did, didn't it? Now, despite the, the, the challenges of Zoom fatigue and forgetting to unmute, two years on, I'm sure most of us would still agree that it is a hugely helpful communication tool in our post-pandemic world. But here's a problem. The problem is it encourages a lack of integrity. I don't know about you. I don't think it's just me, though. But, you know, I sit there on, the, on Zoom, and all looks perfect on my Zoom screen. You know, I've curated my backdrop nicely. There's a plant, there's a photo of the children, uh, there's an appropriate selection of books. But off screen, beyond that magic rectangle of Zoom, the room's a mess. You know, I've got dirty plates or even sometimes dirty clothes on the floor. I've got my tracksuit bottoms on under the screen, but a nice shirt on up top. I just press mute to wipe out the sounds of the children making far too much noise in the background. It all looks perfect. It looks presentable on the surface within that magic rectangle, but off camera, it's all a mess. Now, now the problem is that that gap, that disconnect, that fairly harmless hypocrisy between what's on screen and what's off screen, if we're honest, that is mirrored in other areas of our lives too. Now, let me give you a few personal examples so you sort of get the idea. There are times that I can look very calm at work to others on the staff team, but the truth is inside, in my heart, where others can't see, away from that, as it were, that magic rectangle, inside, I'm a bundle of worry. Uh, on screen, as it were, I tell my children to take their muddy shoes off at the front door, and yet off screen, the truth is, a day later, I have trooped all through our house with my shoes on and left mud everywhere. You know, on screen, Susanna and I can go round to um, someone's house for supper, and we turn up looking a picture of marital bliss, but actually, 
Off screen, we've just had a Barney of an argument and we're furious with each other. On screen, I appear a fine, upstanding church leader. But inside, in my heart, off screen, too often, my heart is cold, even apathetic, indifferent towards my Lord. There's a hypocrisy. There's a disconnect. There's a gap between our public, what others see, and our private. Between what we profess and what we actually practice with our actions. So if that's the problem, how does Wilberforce help us as we think about this? Well, at its simplest, Wilberforce recognized that Jesus Christ, he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And if everything lies under the lordship of Jesus Christ, there can be no segment of our lives, no segment of my life, no segment of your life that can be divorced from Jesus' influence. We are to have a whole life that is all integrated together under Jesus' lordship. There's to be no part of our lives that should be, as it were, outside of that Zoom screen, hidden away from Jesus. Now, I could have chosen others, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take four segments of Wilberforce's life, uh, four segments which I think for many of us in our lives, we are tempted to relegate and to put off screen, and these four areas can be in danger of becoming a mess in our lives. And you wouldn't have expected anything less from me. Uh, I'm going to give you four Ds, okay? Um, So, uh, they won't all be relevant to all of us. But I'm just going to give these four areas, these four segments of our life, and I just want you to think, in those areas, am I in danger of putting them off screen? Am I in danger of actually the public and the private, there's a disconnect? Here's the first one, the devotional segment of life. Personally, I find it so easy to compartmentalize my life. And I'm quite a sort of structured kind of person. I compartmentalize things. I say, right, here I am. I'm in the morning. Most mornings, I'll have this concentrated time with God, praying, reading the Bible. But then too often, I do that, tick the box, and then I go through the rest of the day and I forget about God, even though I'm a vicar. And I, I, I live with little constant devotion to Jesus. Not Wilberforce. Wilberforce seems to, throughout the day, constantly have been connecting to God, despite his busyness. According to one person who stayed in his house for a few weeks, um, this person said this about Wilberforce. He said, as Wilberforce walked about the house, he was generally humming the tune of a hymn or psalm, as if he could not contain his pleasurable feelings of thankfulness and devotion. So that's the first segment of life, the devotional segment of life. How is it for you? Second segment of life, the dating segment of life. Now, for many, Jesus may be Lord of parts of our lives, but maybe for some, he's not Lord of how we go about dating or how we go about our romantic relationships. Let me tell you about Wilberforce. In his 20s and 30s, he was the sort of ultimate eligible bachelor, maybe a little too small for some, uh, but he was a wealthy and famous politician nonetheless. And since coming to faith in Jesus at the age of 26, he had debated whether he should remain single, but his prayer journals, as you read his prayer journals, they demonstrate that romance, that marriage, were both something he thought about quite a lot. 
Uh, as I mentioned last Sunday, if you were here, there was a per- period of time where there was a certain Miss H, a Miss Hammond, uh, that he was rather enamored by. Uh, and he writes that uh, she seemed very affectionate, she, he says, uh, when they first met. She seemed very affectionate. Uh, and after a few meetings uh, with Miss Hammond, he declared, I was all on fire about Miss H. I could not sleep for thinking about her. But after the initial excitement had worn off, he came to recognize, and I'm quoting him from his prayer journal here, he came to recognize this. He writes this. I am clear that at present she is not a woman I ought to marry. And perhaps God is graciously preventing it. And he goes on in his prayer journal, and he describes her as tinged with worldliness. So it seems that he began to realize that she did not share his passion for Jesus. The following year, 1797, he met someone else, Barbara Spooner. Barbara was not quite in the sort of same league as Wilberforce socially. She didn't have great wealth like he did. But she, like William Wilberforce, had come to a genuine faith in Jesus, and very soon they were married. And Wilberforce's oldest friend, part of the Clapham sect as well, was a guy called Henry Thornton. And Henry Thornton said this about their marriage. This is what he said. He said, the match is not what the world would account to be a good match. That is to say, he, Wilberforce, has not insisted on some things which the world most esteems, i.e. social and financial standing, because he has thought it indispensable that the lady should have certain other qualities, i.e. passion for Jesus. Now today, 21st century, the challenge for the dating segment of a single Christian's life, it is no different. Prioritize looking for someone who has a passion for Jesus. So the devotional segment, the dating segment, third one, the dad segment of life. Now on Mothering Sunday, let's recognize it as parenting generally. Obviously, though, Wilberforce was a dad. Personally, for me, this is one of the areas that as I've got to know Wilberforce and I've researched him more over the last years, I've been most challenged. I once heard someone say, who you are when you're interrupted is who you really are. And then I reflect on all the times that um, I've been working at my desk at home and one of my children might come in, or even Susanna sometimes, and I sort of gruffly reply that I'm too busy, that I don't have time for them. Yet in an era that there was far less focus on children in society, Wilberforce was radically distinct. Henry Thornton, who I was just quoting a second ago, his daughter, Marianne, uh, as an adult, when she grew up as an adult, she wrote this. She said, I know one of my first lessons was I must never disturb Papa when he was talking or reading. But no such prohibition existed with Mr. Wilberforce. His love for and enjoyment in all children was remarkable. Now, most fathers in his position back then rarely even saw their children. You know, there were governesses and nannies and stuff like that. But Wilberforce insisted that he had as many meals as possible with his children and regularly played games with them, running races in the garden, playing marbles, playing blind man's bluff. Radically, a few years after he'd had, him and Barbara had had their sixth child, good effort, um, uh, Wilberforce um, stood down as an MP. He stood down as an MP from his influential Yorkshire constituency and he stood instead for a lesser, smaller constituency in order to be closer to and have more time for his family. He put his family and his children first before what was going on in his political work. 
Uh, recently, Stephanie Bird compiled a book of some of the letters that Wilberforce has written to his um, six children over the years, along with a commentary uh, of lessons for parenting. And in her book, she writes this. She says, Wilberforce's children grew up not only hearing his beliefs, but most importantly, seeing them lived out. Their father endeavored to model the precepts he taught. So see what she's saying there? Uh, he, he endeavored to model the precepts he taught. In other words, he, he had an integrity between what he professed about how to do it and how he actually practiced being a dad. Wilberforce, she says, seemed to understand intuitively that while his words were important, his complementary actions were more so. That more would be caught than taught if his sons and daughters were to adopt these foundational truths as their own guides for life. And what was the title of this book about Wilberforce's parenting? Stephanie Bird called it Amazing Dad. Fourth D, the donation segment of life. Again, I think it is so easy to hide our attitude to money, to hide how, what we do with our money, to hide the, the practice of giving, and to keep it, as it were, off our Zoom screen and not let Jesus Christ be Lord over our finances. Again, not Wilberforce. It is reckoned that Wilberforce, he gave away uh, over 25% of his annual income. And it wasn't just about donating money, he gave his time in so many ways as well. On retiring from Parliament in 1824, he was offered, but he refused, a peerage in the House of Lords. Now, this peerage in the House of Lords, it would have brought prestige, it would have brought a regular income. And Wilberforce said this, he said, I will not deny that there have been periods of my life when on worldly principles that attainment of a permanent, easy, and quiet seat in the legislature, become a, in the House of Lords, would have been a pretty strong temptation to me but I thank God I was strengthened against yielding to it. Indeed, in his lifetime, William Wilberforce was the only MP who it was an MP representing a whole county who then did not become a peer in the House of Lords. He wanted to make sure in his actions, in his decisions, that money did not become his God and his idol. Rather, in the last years of his life, he and Barbara lodged in the houses of one of their own children as they owned no house of their own. Now, I could have picked other areas, but just on those four areas, what I hope you've seen is that William Wilberforce is a great model to us of personal integrity. There's no sort of giant gap between how he was in public and how he was in private, between what he professed and what he practiced. Yet, of course, William Wilberforce failed. He still got things wrong, just as you and I will get things wrong. There wasn't this sort of perfect integratedness between his Zoom screen and everything that was off camera. So it's good for us to see him as a model for us to follow in what he got right, but also we need to see and to learn, like him, how to respond when our personal integrity disintegrates, as it does and it will. And I think that means two very simple things for you and for me. Here's the first thing. First thing is, we need to admit our hypocrisy. We need to admit it. Not bury it, not keep our hypocrisy hidden off screen, pretend it doesn't exist, but bring it out into the open. 
I love um, this tweet that a, a CNN news presenter posted in the middle of the pandemic. She wrote this. She said, you may be able to read it at the top. She said, just so I'm being honest. And you can see there, there's her, her, her as it were, her Zoom screen. This is her on CNN, her presenting away and, and speaking there. But then she put another photo up as well. She put a photo of everything that was off screen. There's the mess. You know, there's the children's toys everywhere, all over the floor. The cycling shorts and the bare legs, the laptop on top of the chair, on top of the table. Now, in that, in that tweet there, what's she doing? She's admitting the hypocrisy that was there. She's admitting the gap between the public, what others could see, and the private. And we, each one of us, need to do that in our lives too. Maybe God, even, perhaps even as I've been speaking, has, if you like, been putting his finger on one area of our life where there's a lack of integrity, where there's a hypocrisy. Maybe it's how we are at work versus how we are here at church. Maybe it's one of those four Ds, the devotional or dating or dad or donation segments of our life. Maybe it's something else entirely, where things off screen are all a mess, are lacking integrity. Maybe for, for one or two of us, if we're honest, there's a recognition that actually, if you look behind the public, at the private, at the hidden, maybe you're saying, actually, I'm not sure there's even a relationship with Jesus at all. Picture just for a moment the last supper that Kenny read for us in our Bible reading. There's Judas. Judas, who had listened to Jesus' teaching over the years. Judas, who'd seen Jesus' miracles. Judas, who'd been thought to be so reliable in the 12 disciples that he was appointed treasurer of the group. And yet he's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. No one else realized it, did they? No one realized it apart from Jesus. And it's not surprising, really. Jesus knows because Jesus is God. Uh, just look, would you, at verse 19 of the passage, John 13, verse 19. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus is speaking to the 12 disciples, and this is what he says to them in verse 19. He says, I'm telling you now about Judas's betrayal. I'm telling it you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. He's saying, let me show you that I'm God. Let me show you so that you will believe that I am who I am, the Old Testament very name for God. That Jesus is saying there, he is the all-important I am, that he's God. And so, of course, Jesus knows. Jesus knows about all about Judas' hypocrisy, and let's be honest, Jesus knows all about our own hypocrisy too. And so faced with his hypocrisy, faced with his lack of, of personal integrity, Judas is there and he has a choice. Judas has a choice as Jesus offers him the bread in verse 26. Jesus has got, uh, Judas has got this choice. Does he admit his hypocrisy? Or does he move away from Jesus? Does he leave Jesus? And does he walk out into the night? You and I too, we need to admit our hypocrisy. We need to admit it with Jesus, certainly after all, he knows about it already. Probably also for many of us, we need uh, to admit it with a trusted Christian friend too. And then second, having admitted our hypocrisy, we need to lean on Jesus. We need to lean on Jesus and ask Jesus for help. 
Just picture again, in that moment, that supper scene. There's Judas, and Judas in his pride, what's he doing? Judas in his pride chooses to turn his back on Jesus and to walk out into the night. And at the very same time as Judas is walking out into the night, we read of the disciple John. And we read of John, and John is leaning back against Jesus. John is leaning against Jesus, asking Jesus a question. It is such a contrast between Judas and John. One goes out into the night away from Jesus, and the other one leans on Jesus. And just as John physically did at the Last Supper, you and I, we can do spiritually. We can lean on Jesus We can come to Jesus with our questions, with our confusions, with our hypocrisy, with our lack of integrity. We can come to Jesus and we can lean on him and keep leaning on him in the midst of all our mess. Why not take a moment, even tonight, to allow God, by his spirit, to point out to you where there is a disconnect in your life personal integrity between what is visible and what is hidden off screen and a mess and as God does that as he points out where it is for each one of us please let's us admit our hypocrisy and lean against Jesus lean against Jesus Jesus the one who loves you and who longs for you to lean against him And I wonder if you might let William Wilberforce lead you in how to do that. What do I mean when I say lean on Jesus? Well, listen to how Wilberforce prays. I'm going to have a couple of prayers coming up of how Wilberforce prayed in his prayer journal. Let me read them. Wilberforce prayed this. He said, oh, what a hypocrite am I. Oh, if the world knew me, As God knows me, how little could I bear the face of men? Yet blessed be the forbearance and long-suffering of God who still allows me space for repentance. Christ is able to save to the uttermost. May God, for Christ's sake, support me in this hard conflict again a few years later he prays this O Lord purify my soul from all its stains warm my heart with the love of thee animate my sluggish nature and fix my inconstancy and volatility that I may not be weary in well doing Today, can I ask each one of you, will you admit your hypocrisy to a patient and long-suffering God, one who gives you and I space for repentance, space for turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, the one 
who loves us. And will you lean on Jesus? Will you lean on him? Lean on him, the one who saves to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost, not just a little, but he saves totally, completely, utterly. He he saves us not begrudgingly, but he saves to the uttermost. He wants to bring us salvation, forgiveness, help, restoration. And will you let Jesus, by the power of his Spirit, will you let him purify your soul from all its stains, fix your inconstancy, my inconstancy, the way we go up and down? Will you let him do that fixing work in you, do that restoring work in you, and grow you as a person of personal integrity. Will you open yourself to Jesus this evening and let him do that work in you, in each one of us, by the power of his Spirit.